Welcome to the Intesa San Paolo Talks. Hello and welcome to another episode in our Intesa San Paolo Talks podcast series. This time we're back at Intesa San Paolo's annual Novathon event, which showcases the latest thinking in technology and innovation in finance, or at least we're there virtually, which is how Novathon is happening this year. And while the event may be online, that hasn't stopped it attracting top quality speakers. One of those who's just finished a question and answer session is Jaron Lanier, the computer scientist, composer, artist and author named as one of the 25 most influential people in the last 25 years in tech history. He's widely regarded as one of the founders of virtual reality, has written international best-selling books including You Are Not a Gadget and his most recent one, 10 Arguments to Delete Your Social Media. He starred in the documentary The Social Dilemma and campaigns tirelessly on the dangers of social media. As I say, he's just finished a Q&A on social media influence on traditional businesses and he joins me now. My first question to you is, that, you know, in your talk today, Jaron, you... You talked a lot about the, the, the turn to darkness in social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do you mean by that? Well, social media, as we know it, <clears throat> and I want to emphasize that at its core, social media can be a positive thing. And it often is when platforms are young and charming. But when they start to make money under the current business model, a certain kind of darkness appears. And the reason why is the current business model is not based on users directly paying for services, but is instead based on other parties called advertisers. But they're not traditional advertisers. Instead, what they're sold is a kind of a direct targeting and behavior manipulation model, where the idea is that the algorithms will target people, will optimize for getting people's attention and for influencing them. And the problem with that is that the ability for the algorithms to detect the people is very, very crude. And so the only signals that come back to the algorithms are the most fundamental and basic and extreme human emotions, which are the fight or flight responses. And so the algorithms respond when people get angry, when they get aggressive, when they get irritable, when they get xenophobic. And so therefore the algorithms reinforce those things over and over again. And then what you have is a very gradual darkening of culture and politics everywhere at once. None of these features of human character are new. They're all old. It's just that they haven't been excited consistently in this way before everywhere at once. Do do you think that's been an inevitable result of social media or is it an engineer? Is it engineered? It is an unintended consequence of a business model, not of social media itself. If you want to experience social media without the darkness, you just try a platform that isn't making money yet. So the first year or two of something like TikTok or Facebook or YouTube is often quite charming. It's once the algorithm starts working and the business starts making money that you see the darkening. There's no reason for that business model. There are other business models that would not create the darkening. Like what? Well, the obvious one is people would pay for services like they do for Netflix or for certain newspapers, then the quality goes up. Now, I realize immediately a lot of people say, oh, but but, but then the poor couldn't afford it. Well, I have an answer to that. One is we could subsidize access for the poor pretty easily because it's not a very expensive service to provide. But two, even more importantly, the poor are often providing vital data 
that makes the platforms valuable in the first place. And if people earned royalties based on how they contributed to the platforms, then they'd be making money. And then you'd have a, a rising tide raising all boats, as the cliche goes about markets. If you have a genuinely distributed and accessible market participation for a very wide range of people, then the internet could be a source of wealth and uh, pride and a sense of place in society for a large number of people who are currently just feeling displaced and fearful of, of big tech companies. Yeah. And that would be a, a better a better solution. But where we are right now, I guess, is not there. We've got, you know, Google, Facebook, et al., mm -hmm. or not et al., et a couple of others. Is there any real prospect, do you think, of changing that to the sort of model you're talking about? Yeah, um, I think there is a prospect. And the reason why is that everybody hates these companies now. So you're seeing, I wouldn't say just regulatory action, but regulatory fury in those places that have the power to regulate them. Uh, and it's really extraordinary. I mean, I've seen, for instance, when big tobacco was subject to regulation in the United States, they still had friends. When you see the leaders of Facebook and Google before uh, regulators in the US and in Europe, there's nobody coming to defend them. They, they really, so uh, the current atmosphere of regulation prefers antitrust regulation. Um, if I'm correct, Antitrust actions won't have a fundamental benefit, and so, or they at least not quickly. And I think um, the degree of energy for regulation is great enough that there's an opening if the companies and the and the various shareholders and stakeholders in the companies realize, hey, there's this other business model that might make people not hate us so much. I think there's a real chance they'll go for it. I mean, after all, they are businesses. Sure. I don't think they. I don't think they want annihilation. I think they want success. Meanwhile, uh, as, as you say, it, it's not all bad, right? I mean, in sort of business context, even in maybe in a banking context, you know, social media has allowed people, I guess, to uh, do things like complain. You know, I, I, you know, we've all been in situations where we've gone thanks at certain company for not answering the phone to me in the hope that they would respond, and they often do, right? Well, <clears throat> yeah, um, and. As just to repeat again and again and again and again and again, the core values <coughs> of social media in its in themselves are positive. I, I'm not opposed to social media. I'm opposed to the manipulation business model that's the source of profit for social media. And that's an absolutely vital distinction. Yeah. Um, I should say that there's a bit of a subtle blackmail going on where social media is better at negativity and positive than positivity. So it's very easy for somebody to ruin somebody else's reputation and the algorithms will amplify a negative message to get a positive message. You kind of need to pay into the system. So in a sense, um, everybody, every bank, every business that's on social media is subject to a sort of a blackmail where you'll get more negativity and positivity unless you actively send money into the system. And that's part of why companies like Google make so much money. Yeah. What about for banks and in other traditions? I mean, you, in, when you were talking earlier, you you mentioned uh, uh, the uh, hypothetical example of a tyre company, which, of course, in Italy would be Pirelli, no doubt. But for them, uh, is there a threat, a real threat from, from social media companies? We know about the idea that, you know, uh, uh, Google Pay affects banking people and the data, you know, the people who own the data end up owning the information of the the social media companies, not the not the banks. Do you think it goes further than that? Would a tire company or a 
uh, fizzy drink maker, would, would, are they at threat from social media companies, do you think? Yeah, absolutely, eventually. Um, eventually right now, a fizzy drink company has physical activities. They have bottlers and so forth. In the future, there might be, I'm just making this up, but maybe there's some kind of a robot that can travel around or maybe a drone and it has an onboard 3D glass printer. It makes its own bottle, formulates its own soda and shows up and is entirely owned by Google or Facebook or Amazon. Why not? You know, I mean, to, to say that that's impossible this year, but 10 years, 20 years from now. So the thing is, if this paradigm continues, there's no such thing as a business that won't be annihilated by this business plan eventually. So there has to be broader participation where the people who are putting data into the system are benefiting from it if automation is not going to destroy civilization. I mean, that, that's the only path forward. I've got a couple of last questions for you, mm-hmm. Jaron. Jaron. Uh, the, the first is, you know, we're talking uh, under the auspices or, or courtesy of Intesa Sao Paulo. Is, is there anything you would like the banking community, the global banking community, to be doing right now to, to help repair the damage that you see? You know, it's a funny thing, because if you'd asked me this question 25 years ago, I would have said the banking community, well, the banks run the world, they're the most powerful people. I, I have a long list of demands. That's no longer true. The banking world is subservient to the tech world at this point by any measure, really. And so I I think what the banking community has to do is agitate for useful regulation and um, do everything possible to encourage market development, meaning that people pay for what they get on the internet and get paid for what they contribute to the internet that has to be the future of banking. There's no other future. Otherwise, banking will gradually disappear into tech manipulation. I mean, the, the people at the core of companies like Facebook and Google think money is just a temporary form of communica- of, of uh, computation, that it'll be replaced by direct manipulation and direct power, and money is just a temporary inconvenience. Uh, that's a strange thing, but it's true. So... Banking will cease to exist unless the fundamental business model of the tech world changes. Yeah. So my last I know that sounds radical, but it's it's actually um, just stating the conventional position in Silicon Valley. Yeah, it's sort of blowing my mind a little bit, to be honest. My last question, uh, Jaron, is your most recent book is 10 Arguments to uh, Delete Your Social Media. Have you deleted your social media? And if so, how does that feel? I never had it. I mean, I was I was around from before social media started, and I thought it was a garbage from the first moment. I was writing the same criticisms of it in the '90s, um, from before Google existed. So uh, I never I never had an account. And I should say, I mean, it's been difficult for me. I mean, I, I sold a company to Google when it was young, and I kind of hurt their feelings by refusing to ever have a Google account. Same thing with Facebook. Although I didn't sell a company to Facebook, but um, a lot of these people were very idealistic and believed in what they were doing. And um, at least in the case of Google, were sincere and I think sweet people, um, but just mistaken. I think I think this whole thing's been more of a giant mistake than some sort of a conspiracy or, you know, evil plan. Jaron, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you, if only briefly, and, and I've really, really enjoyed that. Thank you so much. That was Jaron Lanier, a man on a social media mission. 
That's it for this episode of the Intesa San Paolo Talks. If you've enjoyed it and want to hear more, then please subscribe to us using your usual podcast provider. And in the meantime, thank you very much for listening and see you next time. The Intesa San Paolo Talks.